Welcome to the Tim Fowler Show, where production is paramount and we discuss the tools, time, and people associated with getting jobs done and making a profit. On today's episode of the Tim Fowler Show, we will be talking about the basics of real change with the help of special guest, Doug Howard of Remodelers Advantage in Linthicum, Maryland. Alongside Tim Fowler, I am your co-host, Steve Wheeler. Here is the Tim Fowler Show. Hi, everyone. Tim Fowler here, and welcome to another episode of the Tim Fowler Show. Keep the ideas coming in. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, as I've said before, uh, we need those fresh ideas just to keep an exciting and interesting program for you. So send them to me, Tim at RemodelersAdvantage.com. So change can be very, very elusive in a personal life as well as in a company. So there's podcasts, seminars, books, classes, webinars, virtual classes, and all of them give us great ideas about how to improve our businesses, but how many of them actually take root and become something that really uh, is used on a regular basis or actually changes our processes. So rest assured that I'm not the expert on this. I've wrestled with this myself. And I, I know that when I like something doesn't change the way I would like it to, I start telling a story. And what I mean by that, there's a great book out there called The Oz Principle. It's on organizational accountability. And one of the things that they point out in there is that sometimes rather than just face the fact, hey, I didn't succeed, we'll start to tell stories about why it didn't succeed. And so things like, I'm so busy, I can't do that. Or the carpenters take up all my time answering their questions. Or the clients, all the clients that we have now are just a mess. Or who has the time and so on and so forth like that when things don't change the way we want to. So it, I guess it might be clear to you I've been thinking about this a bit. So what I've come up with in all my self-analysis is that maybe we just don't know how to change things. You know, we want things to change, but sometimes we may not even know what the first step is. So in a training recently, I was in the training with Doug Howard, who's our guest today. He was discussing lean and how lean impacts a company. And one of the concepts that he outlined really rang a bell with me. And that's what I wanted to talk about uh, with him today. So I started thinking about maybe this thing that he had mentioned in this training, we'll get into the details in a minute. It might be the one thing that we need to do to make sure that things change. So I invited him on to discuss all this and maybe he can help us actually make some change occur. Steve, let's get started. All right, let's do it. So Doug Howard is the Director of Consulting Services for Remodelers Advantage, having joined the team in 2017. Doug is an entrepreneur and small business consultant with over 25 years of success in leading organizations, starting new organizations, and assisting client companies as they start up and grow. He specializes in helping small and medium-sized businesses plan and implement the strategies that lead to successful rapid growth. 
Today, he is working with remodelers across the country in areas such as budgeting, cash flow, growth, process improvement, process enhancement, and succession planning. Doug, welcome to the show. Thanks, Steve. It's great to be here. All right. So let's just jump right in. I know you've been on the show before, and I know people have uh, have heard from you. So I just mentioned lean in the introduction. And so if you would just tell us a little bit about your work with remodeling companies with with the lean idea. What, what is it you're doing with companies or what are your services that, that can, if people are thinking about lean, how might you be able to help them? Sure. So, you know, lean is, uh, it's born out of the Toyota production system and it's really designed to look at any process, identify the waste and then eliminate the waste rather than just speed up or cut corners or that kind of thing. It's about really taking away the things that just don't add value. Well, in the remodeling world, we have a lot of things where the steps it takes to actually do something are a much smaller amount of time than the overall time it takes for a phase of the job to be done. For example, when people say, I have an eight-week design process, it doesn't mean that they're locked in a room for eight weeks doing design. There's a lot of back and forth. There's waiting. There's handoffs. There's rework. Well, all of those things are things that don't add to the value for the customer, but they in turn add to the costs and the delay and the time involved in doing the process. So one of the things that we do is just fundamental training in this, in this way, you know, getting people to understand the concepts, where it applies, how to translate that to what they see in their day-to-day uh, world, whether it's trips to the lumber yard or how they hand off uh, work from one department to the other. The other thing we do um, and uh, Tim, I know we had the opportunity to do one recently together, is we will go on site and work with folks to do training with their team, uh, actually lay out some of the processes, identify which processes to start with, because that's really important. A lot of times people want to start at the beginning. Really where you want to start with is is where you're having the most pain, where there's the most opportunity to improve. Um, And then take one of their processes and really dig into it. Um, And it's a ton of fun to see when that light light bulb starts to come on to say, boy, we've got stuff in here that we don't need. We've got stuff in here that we don't know where it came from. Uh, You know, we're great as a a people at adding steps, uh, (laughs) not so great at taking them out. So this was maybe a step that we did before something was automated, but we still do it to make ourselves feel comfortable. Um, And yet it's uh, just adding to the, the cost of the time. So those are really the things and the idea is to end up with a with a better system, but it's all built on the idea of continuous improvement. So no matter what we improve today, we're continually looking at that to see where are there other opportunities um, to uh, to make those improvements in the future. Yeah, so it's really fun. Uh, like like you said, we, we did one of these meetings together with a company and it's really fun to see light bulbs come on. And I just, I just love being in that situation where people go like, Oh yeah. Wow. Look at that. Didn't even think about that. And then it, then it really, uh, it really resonates and you can find the waste fairly easily in almost any kind of environment. So in this meeting that you and I were uh, together with, I was sitting, you were doing the training. I was sitting with the crew uh, listening and I've heard you speak before. I've heard you talk about the lean, but the one, the thing that really rang my bell or resonated with me was this slide that you had that it talked about the current state, the ideal state, and the future state. And I know we can't, we don't have video here, so it'd be, it's hard to show the slide, but 
tell us, because, and maybe I'm way off track, maybe this isn't the key to change, but it sounded like it to me. So we're going to explore it a little bit here, but tell us a little bit about that idea, the current state, the ideal state, and the future state. Sure. So the current state should be what exactly we're doing right now. Uh, not what we're supposed to be doing right now, but what we are doing right now. The ideal state says, basically, if I could wave a magic wand in a perfect world, this is how things would be. And then the future state says, well, it's not a perfect world. And, you know, I generally don't have a magic wand. So what are the things that I can do to make an impact so that the future state, what we're going to do going forward, is better than the current state? And the, the irony of that is as soon as we agree on what that future state is and it sticks and we start training from that, it actually becomes the new current state. Uh, so there's sort of a cycle to that. But the reason is it's important. And I do think, Tim, it's at the, at the core of uh, why change happens or doesn't happen. And I'm sure you've been in meetings like this. You start something and someone says, well, we should work on such and such a process. And we identify a couple of things that are happening. And immediately, immediately, people start throwing out ideas about how to fix it, right? We need a checklist. We need more training. We should do it twice. We should have three people to do it. We need to hire more people, whatever it is, right? And all of that, you know, may be things to consider at some point, but we've already skipped a couple of steps. And they're the steps that make this stuff really stick uh, when we do make change effectively. The first step is we are almost always working from what we should be doing and not what we're actually doing. And so one of the first lean projects I did um, was with a company that had four project managers and it took us, believe it or not, the first of two days to actually nail down the current state. And that's actually not unusual when you go through these processes because what happens is, as you know, right? Tim's got his way of doing things. And a couple of years later, Steve came on board and I kind of watch what Tim does. And um, well, we don't exactly use that form the same way, or I do things a little bit on the side, or I have my own little cheat sheet or notebook or whatever. And over the course of time, what happens is we think we're fixing a process. And in fact, it may be multiple processes. So for me to say, Tim, we need to do more of this and less of that that's only applicable if that's actually what you're doing, not what you should be doing, right? So the current state and getting that really nailed down. Now, it's painful sometimes for the business owner. Uh, and it's intimidating for sometimes for the staff, right? Because they know when I say, okay, what's the first step? They know what the first step's supposed to be, but right. then you have to kind of fess up to what it is. Once we get that down, the next really important thing is to identify what's value added and what's not right? What's contributing to what the customer wants or would pay for. It's the time we spend des designing, this time we spend interacting with the customer. It's not the time that we spend waiting for something to come back or sending something out or reworking something. And so we really hone that in because what we don't want to do is we don't want to eliminate anything that's value added. And in fact, what we want to do is take out things that are waste and put more resource, more time into the things that are value added. So in that, we got to get to, and I know this is one of your favorite things in a different context, Tim, we got to get to the root cause of why we're having the waste that we're having, right? And so a lot of times what happens is we'll look at something and someone will say, well, that's the third time we've ordered the wrong windows, right? And so what the conclusion becomes is 
we need a checklist or a process or a training on how to do a better job of ordering windows. In fact, we may find that we have a great process tucked away somewhere, but nobody follows it. Right. We may find that if we could read that person's handwriting, they actually followed the process. But in fact, when it came to being able to order it, I couldn't tell if that was a two or a seven, right? And so we can create solutions to that problem, but in fact, it's not that problem that's the root cause. And so the way we get to that, of course, is uh, asking the five whys, right? Why did this occur? Well, why is that the case? And we dig down. And when it comes down to, because I simply could not read the way it was written, (laughs) well, we can come up with all the checklists in the world, but at the end of the day, it may not look like a window problem. It might be a door problem or a toilet problem or something else, but we're going to run into that same situation unless we solve that core issue, right? right? Or we develop another checklist that's in a file on a hard drive somewhere that no one reads. We're not going to change that, you know, that circumstance. So as soon as we get to what the core issue is, what's the root of the problem, then we can start to look at what would the ideal state be? Well, and, and again, we keep asking this question, in a perfect world, if I could wave a magic wand, what would be different that would make this much harder to make a mistake or impossible? So I'm going to just just kind of butt in here quick and go like, what, I mean, my sort of down to earth, you know, nuts and bolts brain, and I think I know the answer, but I'm going to ask it for everybody else here. Like, why are we talking ideal since we know we're never going to hit it? I mean, what, what good does it do me to dream about some fantasy of always ordering the windows correctly? Right. Yeah, well, and so what, what's the benefit of that? It's a great question. It's because if we simply said, well, here's our process and what would be better, that new better process is still going to be constrained by our current way of thinking. And if we have a blind spot, if we just have, well, that's the way we've always done it, or you have to get them from this supplier or whatever it is, it causes us to narrow the, the uh, scope of possible solutions because we're thinking about it the way we've always thought about it, right? And I know you guys know, like, like with our roundtables program, right? One of the things I always say is, you know, it's really nice when you get groups of folks together, not because they give you suggestions and answers to the questions you asked, It's because they point out things you're not seeing, right? And so this is the opportunity for us to take a step back and say, well, in a perfect world, you know, would I be doing, would that be handwritten? Would that already be downloaded from the input sheet? Would that be, would it have a picture sitting next to it? You know, now the reality is we won't get to a perfect world. Some things will be cost prohibitive. Some things would be something that I would think would be a big improvement. And Tim, you may say, no, that, that wouldn't make it better for me. That'd make it worse. (laughs) But the bottom line is we start to say, okay, these are some things that really, boy, if that was the case, if you could touch it once, right. On an input sheet and it followed all the way through the system, then we couldn't make that error over and over. Then the most important, so you get that and you really, you know, basically map that out. Then the important question to ask for each of those things that fall into the ideal state is what prevents that from being possible? What keeps us from doing it? Oh, well, if you wanted to do that, we'd have to, you know, number everything that came in 
Or if you wanted to do that, we'd have to train our folks to be able to hand, you know, write legibly or whatever. <laughs> Somewhere in those gems of this is what it would take, you end up with kind of a laundry list, right, of things that we could possibly pursue as, as solutions. And then you kind of narrow those down. And the way we narrow those down is we use an acronym called ICE, right? And the, the acronym stands for impact, control, and ease, right? So if we say, well, we could go to that idea, we could, we could all, you know, maybe change the order we do something or work from a particular, particular form or have the material shipped directly to the location or whatever it might be. Then we'd say, okay, well, first of all, how big an impact would that make? Well, you know, again, for if it's a matter of getting like all the customer's choices the first time we talk to them, how big an impact would that make? It'd be huge, right? But then you go to the C, which is, which is one of the troublesome letters. And it's like, okay, how much control do we have over that? Well, when we have to change human nature, when we have to change the way people do what they do, we probably don't have much control over it. Right. If we have to change a policy that's something that's within our uh, wherewithal, we have a lot of control over that. And then the E stands for ease, which is really two things. One is how easy would it be to make that change and how costly would it be to make that change, right? So if we said, well, this would be really impactful, we absolutely have control over it, but it would only cost $100,000 to buy that new software, you know, that's going to slip down in the rankings of things the owner's probably willing to do. Right. right. And so by looking at that, then we start to say, okay, these are the things that are within the realm of possibility. We get them into some order and we say, now let's plug those into the future state. Okay. In doing that, what we do is we really kind of map out where we want to go next. But because of the process we're going through, which really should involve everybody on the team that's involved in this phase of the process. So if you're doing something that involves like a, a change order, which also involves, you know, maybe the person that sold it, production and, and the billing department, they all need to be part of this discussion, right? Because otherwise what we tend to do is throw things over the wall. I say, well, if Tim will just do a lot more work on his side of the wall, my side of the wall will look a lot better, right? And so what you really want is to have that understanding of this is how we make change. The powerful part of that is a lot of times I may be doing something that's making your life more difficult, but I may not realize it because I don't see what happens in the next step, right. right? But once you and I agree together that that's what ought to happen and that it's going to be better, and we understand how it solves the root cause of the problem, two things happen. We're on the same page. We're going forward with one process, and we have a lot of buy-in because the relevant folks that were involved participated in this solution. This is not something that came up in a committee somewhere. Or so are you, are you suggesting, Doug, that if, um, if we're going to change something that impacts all the project managers of a company and the bookkeeper and – uh, a salesperson that we need to have all of those project managers, like all seven or eight of them, or can one project manager represent the group? So it's a great question. So um, the, the answer is like everything else, right? It depends. So right. if we have a very straightforward production process and we run into some issues with how we handle certain billing things, and that type of thing, but there's not a lot of variability on what happens on the production side 
or maybe it's instilled in the way we handle the software uh, or something like that, then a representative of that group is perfectly fine. However, that's a lot easier once we agree that we've got the right current state, because if it says, you know, and, and I know we've all seen this, yes, that's the way it should be done, but three of those seven people don't do it that way. Anyhow, when they try to transition from where they are to where they're going, they're not going to transition, right? It's like if, if, if you and I are both starting in Rhode Island and, and, we, and I, you know, we, we get directions somewhere, that's going to make sense. But if I give you the same set of directions for me leaving Baltimore, when you leave Rhode Island, you're going to end up somewhere different. That's sometimes right. what change looks like, right? It's like these are the next three steps, but we're not even starting in the same place. Good. So, uh, Doug, I, I hate to really narrow down on one of the processes you mentioned, but I happen to have, you know, a modest used car in uh, unused windows from back in the day, misordered windows. So it, it, it hits home. Uh, so when you have and, and really what that was for me is a lack of experience and knowledge. So even though I wanted to make the process better, it, it was a lack of really industry experience at the time and knowledge of the install process. How, do, how does one fast track that piece of it all or bypass, you know, the length of time it takes to know what it, the whole process takes um, to streamline it? I guess if that's the best way to put it. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it's, it's well, we've got to, we just got to get that training, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's, well, we have to have a second set of eyes. Sometimes it's at least training people on whether or not something's right or wrong, right? So training someone to be able to get something 100% right maybe takes, you know, years, right? But I see this like when we do our WIP reports, right? When we look at how much of a percentage of completion we have. I can train some, it, it may take a couple of years for someone to really get all of what they need to get out of that but I can train somebody in an hour to tell if it's right or wrong. Right. And so at least if I know in those areas, this couldn't possibly be right. You know, it's like what they taught us on Sesame street, right? One of these things is not like the other, right? <laughs> it's like, if you can get that far, right. We can, we can start to leave because the thing is Steve, and, and this is what Toyota learned. As soon as something's wrong and we stop the line, we fix things much faster then if we let it go all the way to the end of the line and let it become a dealer problem. So yeah, as soon as I yeah. say, hey, Tim, I don't know why this is wrong, but this isn't right. That gives you the opportunity not only to give me instruction, but then we don't have the seven next steps that are going to build on that wrong thing that have to be undone to get back to where we need to be. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. So part of, the, part of the mechanism of change is to stop the line, so to speak, to actually Yes. Stop long enough to evaluate some of these things, because I think that's another part of the challenge for companies is they they maybe they look at the current state, but not long enough. And they jump to a solution that isn't the root cause, because guess what? We have to keep this ball rolling. Right. And so, you know, enough about the remodeling world now that how do you how do you do that? How do you stop the line long enough? and still keep the cash flowing? Sure, that's yeah. a great question. I mean, really like anything else that's part of the process, time to evaluate processes, do training, that kind of thing has to be built into the schedule. It has to be built into the world we're in. It is amazing the number of folks that try to convince me we don't have time to stop and do these things. Right. And then they'll show me how we're doing it wrong three times. And it's like, well, 
if we could eliminate one of those times, right? Um, and, and then then there's that opportunity there. There's also got to be a commitment. Uh, you know, it's just one of those things that doesn't happen. You know, any sort of change doesn't, you know, one of the things I hear people say sometimes is, oh yeah, lean, I tried that four or five years ago. And it's like, it's like when I say, oh yeah, I joined the gym four or five years ago. I mean, I didn't go, I didn't listen to anything <laughs> then, right? But, but I joined it. Um, so it really becomes like any other kind of conditioning. The other thing is that people, the biggest mistake people make when they do change, uh, especially in processes, is they try to take on too much too quickly, right? We wanna take a small slice. I don't care if it's how you hand a change order, from your production team to your billing team, if you get that really right, you know, even though there's lots of other things, you start to move the ball forward. And the interesting thing about that is as soon as we free up 20 minutes, a half hour, an hour of time on a project, that's where we get the time to do more continuous improvement. Right. And so it's funny because if something's not big enough, sometimes it feels like, well, that's just not worthy of this endeavor. Well, for most of our folks, hopefully they've tackled some of the big stuff, right? It's the hundred little things. But, you know, you come up with, you know, 30 or 40 things over the course of a job that free up a half hour each. Doesn't seem like a lot until you end up with an extra two days. And then all of a sudden, that's a big deal, you know? And so that's, yeah, that's, that's the biggest part. I know sometimes when I work with a company and I'm in their office and we have the opportunity to do this, I'll get a just a normal, like, uh, not a whiteboard, or it could be a whiteboard or a pad of paper. And I'll just ask everybody, like, what are the little things that could change in the production world? And we'll fill that whole thing up. We'll put like 40 things up there. And, and if you took, I'm sure if you took all the time that is represented by those little things and added them up, it would be significant amount of time, probably enough time to, you know, bridge the gap between slippage and grippage. <laughs> right. So yeah, the little things are huge in terms of really um, getting control of stuff. So yeah, cool. So what are some of the roadblocks? I think you mentioned a couple of things like, um, like that, that, that people should really avoid. I think uh, you mentioned a couple of things, maybe go back and look at some of those sure. uh, things and then we'll wind so, up. I mean, some of the, of the things that, you know, you'd probably just expect in any change discussion, sort of the, you know, we've already done this or we've tried it or we've always done it this way or the boss will never go for it. Right. Um, so when I used to do lean training in, in the government world, sometimes people would even say, does my supervisor know you're having this conversation? With <laughs> yes, yes, they know they paid for it. Um, and uh, so there's, there's that aspect. Another is one that we already talked about, which is really just trying to jump to solutions way too quickly. Right. Not really understanding um, what's going on. Um, I, the, one I call the gorilla not in the room or the elephant not in the room. It's when people say, well, we're going to invite these people because they're the people that are very agreeable. Uh, right. They're the people that will go along with this. We're going to not even, we're not even going to tell Charlie you're here in town today because, you know, and then you find out Charlie's a linchpin, right? Charlie's the factor on whether this is going to work or not. And yeah. so, um, the idea that we're all going to work around the fact um, that that person's not there or not on board is, is, you know, narrows the opportunity to be successful. The funny thing is when that light bulb is, as you mentioned, Tim, goes off for Charlie, it goes off for everybody. 
you right. know? Right. And so, you know, it's like, and most people, they may have their feelings about whether or not something's going to be worthwhile or more work or more hassle. But the cool thing about taking waste out of a process is it usually means not only the process gets better for the client and less expensive for the owner, it actually gets easier for the, for the employee. Right. And so, you know, originally it feels, you know, people will sometimes feel like, well, you're asking me to do more. You're asking me to do something else. It's like, no, one of the first places we start is, you know, hey, Tim, what's one of the most frustrating things in your work and how could we lessen that? Because right. and the answer to that question is some of the waste. Yeah. So, so those yeah. Are the I'm having that conversation with a company where it's, it's looking like they need to spend a little more time uh, before the job starts to get the right information to the lead carpenters. And the assurance has to be, look, if you do this right beforehand, then you'll have more time during the project, <laughs> you know, to do other things that you want to be able to do. And sometimes it's hard for people to see that without really digging, without really looking and digging in and seeing, you know, how does this really play out every day? Yeah. And I think the other big thing really is just making sure that when we implement, we stick to it. And that right. sounds obvious, but, you know, <clears throat> making sure, first of all, that there's a timeline and a deadline. I'm a big believer that even if it's not someone's normal part of their job, whoever's taking responsibility for this should take responsibility for it. If a task has more than one owner, if, if one person doesn't own it, nobody owns it, right? And right. so that's one of the biggest challenges. And the other thing I tell people is it's, it's kind of like singing the 12 days of Christmas, which was not, by the way, my favorite Christmas carol. But it's like, you can't do the first thing and then go on to the second and then go on to the third. It's like, you have to do the first thing and then you say, do the second, but then you go back to the first. Then you do the third, you go back to the second and the first. That's how real cultural change happens. You know, that conditioning, you got to sing the whole freaking song um, going back through. Because if not, by the time you're on to the 12th thing, you know, no one cares about the partridge in a pear tree. <laughs> well, maybe there ought to be, maybe there ought to be a revision for like, everything's moving faster nowadays. Maybe we just need the six days of Christmas. Could be. You know, well, just, you, know you and I on a, on a, on a good uh, visit together could probably come up with a whole series of lyrics for the 12, the 12 days of remodeling. So you know. that would be, that would be fun. Well, Doug, this is amazing. And, you know, my head is spinning just a little bit. I know this is uh, stuff that you talk about a lot with clients as well as uh, with Remodelers Advantage as well as with me. And sometimes it takes me a little while to kind of get my head wrapped around it. But I really appreciate, you know, sort of the, the bird's eye view, if you will. So if someone wanted to, you know, talk with you a little bit more about it, how would they get in touch with you? Um, they can just email me at Doug at remodelersadvantage.com or they can go to www.15minuteswithdoug.com and actually uh, grab 15 minutes on my calendar directly. Um, and, you know, just have a quick conversation. What are they experiencing? What's working well? What are some frustrations? And, you know, then we get a kind of an idea if, if that's a worthwhile path to pursue at least. Yes, also, Doug, I'm, I'm really hoping that people will take some of this and just look at making changes uh, instead of just like everything's okay. And uh, Steve and I have talked offline a little bit about some companies that really do very, very well. 
And when you look at what they're doing, and they're always looking for that challenge, that, that little thing that doesn't work quite right, and trying to find a solution for it. And, and if you keep doing that, then your business gets better and better. And uh, Doug, if somebody wanted to just kind of toe in the water, you mentioned the Toyota Way as a book. Are there any other books that people could introduce themselves to, to more of the principle of lean? Uh, yeah, there are a couple of that are really good uh, out there. The Toyota Way is very good. Um, there are, um, and of course, none of them are coming to mind. Um, uh, but we can know, put them in the show notes if you'd like. What's that? We can put them in the show notes. At yeah, the end. No, I can get you some for sure. There are a couple of series that people have written. Um, the Machine That Changed the World is really about the whole evolution of lean, which is kind of interesting. Um, but uh, there's some more practical, like sort of hands-on type stuff cool. um, that are really more how to implement it. So, Got it. Awesome. Well, thank you. This has been fantastic. Thanks a lot, Doug. And uh, we'll have you back on another time for some more uh, brain stimulation. Yeah. That was good. <laughs> this is good. Right, guys, thanks for having me. All right. See you, Doug. Thank you. Yep. Bye-bye. Tim, like I said, I love this concept. I can't help but have hindsight on, you know, previous days worked and all those other things. But man, it is just when Doug talks, it's just, it, it grips me. And my head starts to buzz a little bit too when he starts to really get down to it. And, you know, when, when companies are really in the throes of a whirlwind, the day-to-day, it's hard to think, let's stop back and start, you know, step back and start cleaning things up here. But, um, you know, Doug, those three, the current state, future st- uh, ideal and future state starts to really break it down a bit, you know, and yeah. makes it palatable and digestible. Yeah, I hope everybody else had the same reaction I did. I don't know if you noticed, but I only said about 20 words <laughs> on the podcast, which is pretty unusual for me. But I'm just sitting here listening. And of course, Doug has it in his head and he's talking and he can get this information out. But I'm just sitting here listening to the uh, the amazing concepts and the applications that that can go on uh, with this this kind of thing. And I think one of the biggest things that that he shared with us is just making the time to look at this type of stuff. In other words, instead of just headlong selling building, selling building, selling building being able to stop back and you have to make time. It doesn't automatically yeah. appear in front of you, but making time to uh, process information, look where your challenges are, then start looking. And I made a big point about the ideal state. And I, my own experience with this is people just don't want to think about the ideal because it's impossible. And I've had people say, your expectations are unrealistic. And I go like, I'm just trying to paint a picture for what it could be because I don't believe you can grow and change until you have a vision for what it could be. And that's what got me so excited about this topic. And I think Doug, of course, said it much better than I did. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, my point was, you know, and I listen, I would not suggest anybody goes the route I did in going into business um, because many people have a, a strength in a certain uh, trade. Um, you know, I, I was wanted to start a business and that's where I went, but, you know, I think bypassing that uh, 
kind of the technical getting that training. That was really a piece that, you know, I ended up doing, but reaching out to people like Doug, you know, reaching out to people that can help streamline some of the gaps that maybe the knowledge you don't have. And that's why roundtables is so valuable, uh, you know, to just fill in some of these pieces. You don't know what you don't know. And that's how we find them out, you know? Yeah, that was a great point that he made that, you know, it isn't so much about getting answers to the questions that you ask. It's getting told, you better ask this question. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And I I think, you know, and it doesn't have to be roundtables or, you know, remodelers advantage, but get it. Of course, we would love for it to be, but but just getting that kind of input because we get so blind. We get so blinded to what's going on that we don't often see the real issues, the real problems that we face. So uh, again, we're going to have Doug back uh, just, if nothing else, just to help me get straightened out and, uh, (laughs) and, and explain some more of this stuff because it's time that the remodeling industry were true businesses. And I think that's one of the great things that Doug brings to this. He was not a remodeler business. He was a, he is a business guy through and through, and he's applying that knowledge to remodeling. And I think that's a great benefit to everybody. Awesome. Well, that's great end note. And we want to thank Doug Howard for joining us today. And we always want to thank you for listening to another episode of the Tim Fowler show. And remember at the Tim Fowler show, we're working hard to eliminate. It is what it is from your vocabulary. This has been another episode of the Tim Fowler show. Want to hire Tim and fast track your growth? Visit remodelersadvantage.com slash consulting to learn more. And if you'd like more information about Roundtables, our world-class peer advisory program, please send me an email at steve at remodelersadvantage.com. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the show and comment on iTunes. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.